All right, well, let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you that uh, you want to speak to us through your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have things to say, and we declare tonight we have ears to hear. We believe tonight that we understand to the degree that the enemy can't steal the word from us. We thank you tonight that we have this the spirit of revelation and that what I say is nothing compared to what you say and that you speak to us and you give us that revelation tonight. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together. We thank you, Lord, for the strength in just this number of people in this room tonight. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start by reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 and 4. And you know these verses. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, when I was considering that passage yesterday, I don't know if I'd ever thought of it the way I thought of it yesterday. And that is, when we think of that, we think about the strongholds that are in our own lives. We think about pulling down the strongholds that we fight against in our own personal lives. But I don't think it's limited to that. Because the Bible here is talking about weapons of warfare. It's talking about a war that is not of the flesh, which means it's a war that's in the spirit. Or it could be, uh, um, I mean, our weapons aren't in the flesh. We don't war after the flesh. The war is a spiritual war. The battle is a spiritual battle. And so this verse, I think, also has to do with pulling down strongholds of government. Pulling down strongholds of, uh, that the enemy has set up in place. And of course, uh, that's what John and Peggy went and prayed against the other night when they were out praying. And so we understand that, that, that these spiritual weapons are extremely powerful and that they're powerful and they pull down these strongholds, these fortifications that the enemy has set up. Either we've allowed them to be set up in our minds or there are strongholds in our community. There are obviously strongholds in our nation. And we have the authority and we have the weaponry to pull those strongholds down. The Lord told Jeremiah, you know, he, he, he put a word in Jeremiah's mouth. And part of that was to pull down and to build up. And so there is that, there is that authority that we have. The passage is about fighting in a war. Fighting in a war. It's amazing how many passages in the New Testament are about a fight. About fighting in a war. I mean, there is a war. We're in a war. And sometimes um, it seems like the church is, is, is very passive, but there's a war. There's a war to expand the kingdom of God. There's a war for our nation. There's a war for our children and our grandchildren. There's a fight to fight, and we need to engage in the fight. The question is, are we fighting? Or are we waiting on God to do something as we sit idly by? I've heard for for a long time, and and I hear people say it often, well, we're just waiting on God. My question sometimes is, well, do you think God might be waiting on you? Because God wants the army to rise up. He wants the church to rise up. Have we allowed Satan to deceive us into thinking that there's nothing that we can do because we're so small and we're so insignificant? I mean, what, what can I do? I can't do anything. It's just me. It's just, just those of us in here. It's just us. What can we do? Well, we've allowed the devil to deceive us into thinking that we are powerless and can't do anything. 
I mean, as I say, the New Testament I mean, it has all kinds of verses about fighting a war, fighting a fight. And so Christians need to be equipped and prepared for battle for the king and for his kingdom. We need to expand our view of what this fight is about. This fight is not just about me getting what I want from God or me getting my blessing or me getting my thing. Yes, we've got to believe God for provision, for health, for those things. But the purpose of my life is not so that God can serve me. The purpose of my life is so that I can fight for the kingdom. It's about his kingdom. The purpose of faith is about his kingdom. It's about getting God what he wants instead of always focusing on getting what I want. And so we have to we have to think about that. We have weapons and we need to know what to do in these times. These are these are supernatural, powerful weapons that come from God. These spiritual armaments have been provided by God and are available at our disposal. But we need to understand what it's all about. Why are we doing that? It's interesting. In that passage, the word warfare is the Greek word stratos. And stratos is an interesting verse. It, it tells us something about God and what he, how he wants us to fight. The word stratos is the word we get the English word strategy from. Strategy. The weapons of our strategy. It tells us that warfare doesn't occur accidentally, but it's something that, is, that needs to be strategically planned. Now, I already know, you. well, yeah, am I supposed to strategize it? Well, just a minute. An army plans a line of attack. They plan what to do. It's not just some haphazard group of guys running at each other, shooting every which way. They have a plan. They strategize before the battle ever begins. And so they have to decide what weapons they'll use, what methods they will use, how they want to approach it. And, and, and they, they, before they make an all-out assault, there has to be a strategy. All right? That's what the devil does. You realize he has a strategy, right? Right now, he seems to be doing pretty good with his strategy. Think about the devil. He's very patient. He's been waiting a long time to get society to this place. Because he has a guy that's lurking back there someplace that will come on the stage. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight, hopefully if I get that far. But there's a strategy. There's a strategy. When Horace Mann and his cohorts began to talk about the public school system many decades ago, they knew their plan wouldn't be fulfilled in their lifetime, but they knew they wanted the minds of children and knew if they could get the minds of children, they could take society. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who said, said, said the, 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 the morality of the schoolhouse today becomes the morality of the statehouse tomorrow. And if we can just get the minds of children, and that's what they believed. They could just get the children. And so the public school system, while it can be very good, can be very evil, especially when we see what's being taught in our public schools today. But it's a strategy, and the devil's been very patient. All right? But understand the Lord also has a strategy. The Lord has a plan. Do you understand that God wasn't surprised by COVID-19? He didn't panic when the Chinese let it out. He didn't say, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do now? I think he said, Jesus, what are they going to do? God wasn't surprised. He already had a strategy. He still has a strategy. He knows exactly what to do. He will tell us what to do if we can come in contact and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep 
know my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. How do they know his voice? They don't spend time listening to the voice of the stranger. They spend time listening to the voice of the shepherd. If we spend time listening to his voice, we will know what he has to say. He has plans. He has a strategy. We need to recognize tonight, in a fight for our nation, in a fight for the church in the United States, we need to recognize the answer is in the spirit. It's not in the White House. It's not in the Capitol Rotunda. It is in the spirit. And we must begin to fight in the spirit. How do we do that? We pray in the spirit until God speaks to us from what we've just been praying through. That's what the scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians. We pray. We pray the mysteries because we speak in words that don't come from man. We speak words that come from the Spirit. And now the Spirit, who knows the heart of God, can speak to our heart. And it can come through to our mind. And we'll know exactly what to do. The church has been flat-footed for a long time. We need to rise up, begin to pray in the Spirit, fight in the Spirit, prepare in the Spirit, to hear God in the Spirit, to know what to do in this hour. It's time for that to happen. Those answers are in the realm of the Spirit. Man, the devil has a strategy. But the Holy Spirit always holds the key to victory. You know, when all this is said and done, this is going to become one of the greatest hours in the history of the church as we rise up and we pray and we stay in the place of the Spirit. And we know He wants to provide us with this divinely inspired strategy and He will tell us what weapon to use when and where. And the devil will not know what hit him. Because we're praying in the Spirit. And it will void the works of the devil every time. There's a fight to fight. There's a fight to win. We mustn't allow the devil to tell us we're too insignificant to do anything. I've heard since I got baptized in the Holy Spirit back in 1973. One plus God is a majority. All we need is God on our side. All we Well, let me put it different. All we need to do is get on the side of God. We need to find out what is it, what is it, Father, that you are saying? What do you want us to do? What is your strategy in this time? The Old Testament is filled with examples of people who heard a divinely inspired strategy that came from the voice of God. And it didn't ever make sense when God spoke it to them. Consider Joshua and the children of Israel as they crossed over the Jordan River and they came to Jericho. They stood before that city. It was fortified. And they had such a fantastic strategy. Walk around the town one time every day. And let a group of guys blow on ram's horns. And don't talk. The reason, I think the reason he said don't talk is because there would be people complaining about it. And people saying, what the heck are we doing this for? And the word of the Lord was, walk around it and don't talk. For six days... It doesn't make any sense. And then they get up on the seventh day and the Lord said, walk around it seven times. Man, I'm sure they were going, oh my gosh, seven times. When you get around it the seventh time, they're going to blow a different tune and you're going to shout because the Lord has given you the city. What kind of strategy is that? It's a holy strategy. 
It's a strategy that came out of the Spirit that spoke into the supernatural realm where the power of God resides. And so the weapon that they used was this obedience to shout at the right time. It's like, well, why can't we shout on the first day? The first time around. Because that isn't what God said. They followed the strategy. And it was supernatural. And it didn't sound reasonable in their minds. But it was God's strategy. That's what you need to do independently. That's what we need to do collectively. We must get God's strategy. We've got to find out what he... Now, we've got to do things you know, by faith, just stepping out and doing different things, but ultimately we need the strategy of God that will take down the stronghold. Well, consider Jehoshaphat. I mean, they had all the army to come, and here was their strategy. Send out the praise team in front of the army. That doesn't sound like a very good strategy to me. I mean, but they did. They sent out the singers and the musicians in front of the armed soldiers, and as they sang praises, as they played the instruments, the Lord supernaturally set ambushments, and the enemy destroyed themselves. I mean, that particular day, I mean, they walked away from that fight without losing a single fighter. In fact, it took them three days to walk away from that fight because they were loaded down with gold and treasures of all kinds. They came away because they, they followed the strategy of God. That's what we need. We don't need strategies of the flesh. We don't need strategies that are born out of frustration. We don't need strategies that are born out of, we've got to do something. We need strategies that are born out of the fact that we spent time with God and prayed in the Spirit until we got the plan of God. Then we know what to do. And then we take the steps, as ridiculous as they may sound. It may not make any sense to our minds, but the battle is not in our mind at that point. It becomes in the spirit if we just make our mind be quiet. It releases the power of God, crushes the foe, and sets the captive free. So we can't be surprised if the Holy Spirit gives us a strategy that doesn't make sense. I'm telling you, he, he's going to give us a strategy. The church is going to... Walk in a strategy because God operates in this level that is so much higher than us. But we've got to become fighters. We've got to become fighters and willing to take a stand and fight. His strategies work, but not if we're sitting on the couch watching I Love Lucy all the time. We've got to hear what God says. We've got to spend enough time with him, we've got to say no to the flesh. We've got to get out of the bed or stay up late or whatever it takes to, to get with God, to hear his voice, to know what he wants to say, to pray in the spirit. Because I'll tell you, he will answer us. Jesus said from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom is to be taken. It's to be taken. It will not osmos into our lives. Because we sit on our Bible and hope it comes from our bottom up to our heart. <laughs> We've got to spend time with God. It's a violent operation. Jesus said in one other place, he said, he said, the Father gives you the kingdom. God's handing it out. But there's somebody who's trying to steal it before it gets to our heart. We've got to get the revelation of what God wants to do. We have to decide that we're going to fight. And we're going to begin to stay in the place of the Spirit long enough to find out what God's plan is, what we ought to do. Here's what the world is saying, especially today. 
be a good little Christian. Stay out of politics. Be quiet and be submissive. Here's what they're saying today. Get used to less privacy, fewer rights, less money, and most of all, get used to the new normal. We need to fight and make the declaration their normal is not my normal. Amen. Who determines what is normal? Does Oprah decide it? Does Hollywood decide it? No, normal is whatever God declares to be right. What's a normal church? What's, it, what's a normal walk with God like? Normal with God is healing the sick, delivering the oppressed. Normal with God is this supernatural flow of his presence and his, his powerful weaponry that destroys the work of the enemy wherever we go. That should be normal in our lives. Not normal like, 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 like some, of the, some of the people in Congress say should be normal. Normal as God says it's normal. They're telling us to get used to a new normal. We need to say, no, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I choose to fight. Yeah, but we just want to rest. Can I tell you something? We've not done enough to rest yet. Amen. That was a good statement. <laughs> God never changed his mind about what he called the church to do. Even if there is a pandemic, even if they shut down the church, God didn't change his mind. He still called us to do what he told us to do. We must stand against evil. We must stand against the canceled culture and the culture of, that's demonic of socialism and communism that's trying to raise its head up and take over our nation. We must fight it in the spirit until we get the word from God about whether we're going to walk around the city, whether we're going to get two armies, one in the front and one in the back, and just wipe them out in the middle. Whatever he tells us to do is what we have to do. But we've got to be willing to fight and do what he said to do. We've got to stand against the culture that we live in today. But we've also got to fight against the lukewarm spirit that has invaded the church. I mean, there's this lukewarm spirit. We've got to stand against that Laodicean attitude that's in the church. When did Christianity become about the Christian and not about the Christ? When was it more important for me to get my thing than for him to get his thing? When did it change? When, when, did, when did, 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 the, did the focus of the entitled creation take precedence over the Creator? You see, God is God. He is Abba. But He is Adonai. He is El Shaddai. He is Almighty God. Yes, He's our Father, but He's still the King and there's still a kingdom to fight for and to stand for. We, we can't lose focus of what, of what this is really about. Why did I get saved? Why did you get saved? Well, because God has a good plan for you. He does have a good plan. Sometimes that means, well, all the time, that means laying my life down for his kingdom. So we've allowed it to become about the wrong things. I mean, we've got to figure out what we're supposed to do. How would it be 
if at the end of our services we gave an invitation like the one Jesus gave to Saul of Tarsus? What was that one? He told Ananias to say, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. How many are joining that church? <laughs> no, we want to be entertained. We want it to be short and sweet. We want it to be we want it to be something that fits into my convenience. I tell you, the church ought to be a place where Christians are trained to fight, to take a stand for God, to take a stand for the king and for his kingdom without reservation. We need to be willing to lay our lives down for him. That doesn't mean every day we get stoned like Paul did that one time. But it does mean that we lay our life down and we die. Jesus said we have to take up our cross daily, die to ourselves daily. That's, that's what it's about. You see, there's a lot to do. There is a lot to do. But we can't just sit back and say, okay, God, we're just waiting for you. There are things to do while we're waiting for God. Listen, we're either going to have a revival or a rapture. And in the meantime, we've got to fight. If it's a rapture, we're going to take as many to people with us to heaven as we can. If it's a revival, we're going to take as many people to the revival as we can so we can get them to heaven when it's time. We've got to have those two things going on. These are days that the Bible calls perilous times. They're times in my lifetime that are unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen so much anti-God, anti-Christian in a, in a country that's supposed to be a country that is one nation under God in a nation that is violating its own covenant with Almighty God. You know, Bill jokingly talked about, at least we live in the free state of Texas, that all be free, all 50 of them ought to be free states. We ought to be, we ought to be standing for God. Let me read you this passage. Now, this is where I want to teach from for the rest of the evening. This is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. The Apostle Paul said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. We talked about last week, This is that was talking about the rapture. Verse 2 says, That you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I'm telling you, I think we're barreling toward that those days, barreling toward that time. I mean, we've been looking at the end times. We talked about the rapture of the church for three weeks, and we looked at, 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 at verse 1 there uh, last time. The coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together unto him refers to the rapture. We talked about that. Tonight I'm going to look at verses 2 and 3. We're going to look at something that will take place right before the rapture and something that will take place right after the rapture from these verses. So first of all, let me read verse 2 again. It says, That you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. He told them, and I think this is a word, of God, word from God for the church today, for those of us who are following Jesus, that you be not soon shaken. Be not soon shaken. He wrote to these believers because they were listening to prophecy teachers that were teaching an error. 
He were listening to people that weren't exactly telling the truth. Specifically, they claimed that Jesus had already returned to rapture his church and that they had missed it. And that's what he's telling them. All right. In order to dispel the lie and the claim of their fears, he said, be not soon shaken. The, the Greek word for shaken is, is, the, is, is the Greek word takeos, and it means swift or fast, to do something as swiftly as possible. The word shaken, I mean, here he's saying, he's saying don't, don't be quickly shaken. Isn't it amazing how sometimes you hear something and it shakes you up just right away? Yeah. That's going on all over the church, all over the country. Don't be soon shaken. The word shaken here is the Greek word saluo, and it means to shake, to waver, to totter, or be moved. What he's saying is don't be shaken, don't totter, don't waver, don't be quickly moved what you're, by what you're hearing from other people. Don't let it bother you. He's saying, I mean, here this word for shaken here, the, the, the tense of it, it points to events that come that cause shock or alarm. It refers to an event or repeated events so unexpected that it results in shock or distress, worry, and inward anxiety. It's talking about one after another, after another, after another, after another. Mm. They just keep coming. They just keep coming. They just keep, keep coming. It's like, Lord, how are we going to do this? Lord, we can't live with this anymore. Yeah. Don't be shaken is what he said. <laughs> yeah. Don't be moved. That's been the problem with the church is we've been moved. The devil has done everything he can to scare us to frighten us, to make us think that we are whipped and there's nothing we can do. The apostle said, don't be quickly moved. You stay there. You stand your ground. Man, he's saying, he's saying these events keep coming repeatedly like there's no pause between how shocking they are, how nerve-wracking they are. One, one scholar translates this word shaken as jumpiness or nervousness. It's amazing during the pandemic and during the shutdowns and, and during the riots and all the things that have taken place, people have been nervous. They've been jumpy. What if it comes to our house? We're going to buy big guns. I'm not opposed to you buying a gun, but a gun in your Savior. Only one name can save us, and it's the name of Jesus. The apostle here, he's, he's informing us that the closer we get to the end of the age... It's going to be as if there's no pause between the unbelievable happenings in society and the world. <coughs> Doesn't it seem like that right now? It's getting, I mean, these events are coming closer and closer. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 8, as he's talking about the end times. He said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Another, the NIV translates the word sorrows, birth pangs. Birth pangs. In other words, a woman who's in labor I've never been in labor, but I've been with one four times when she was in labor. And they begin to have the contractions. The closer she gets to delivery, the closer and closer the contractions come. And the more intense they become until finally there's one contraction on top of another on top of another. You understand the earth, the Bible says, is groaning. The lease is almost up. And we are getting ready to get out of here. And until that, those birth pains are over and over. So that's what the tense in that verse describes. And it tells us, it says, don't be shaken by outward events that keep happening repeatedly over and over, almost without a pause between them. Don't be moved. And he says, then he says, it's interesting, be not soon shaken in mind. I tell you, that's where it starts is in your mind. Don't be shaken in your mind. The word mind, the Greek word is nous, which means a person's mind, their will, and their emotions. 
He's saying, don't be perpetually jumpy or nervous in your soul. Don't let the devil get to your soul. We need to be renewing our minds constantly, daily, making sure we have God's word in place. Because if not, we'll believe all the lies that come our way. He says, don't be troubled. Don't be, don't be shaken your mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor word nor by letter as from us as, that, as the day of, the, of Christ is at hand. The word troubled is, is, is the Greek word thoreo and it means an inward fright that causes one to be filled with worry, anxiety, and fear. I mean, it's talking about worry that comes upon worry in the tense. It comes worry after worry after worry. It's an ongoing state of worry and inward anxiety resulting from outward events that keep occurring repeatedly as if there's no pause between them. I remember my mom would always tell me, she would say, well, son, I'm just a worrier. And I would say, no, you are not a worrier. You've become one, but you are that in the way you were born. She said, I'm just a worrier. I get worried if there's nothing to worry about. Well, we need to understand that in the way God made us and that he intends for us to be people who stand our ground. Instead of worrying, why, number one, why worry about something we can't control? Oh, maybe we can control it. In the place of prayer, in the spirit, praying in the spirit, we can take authority over the devil and we can take it. It's talking about trouble. It's talking about just this ongoing thing. He says, neither by spirit. He used the, the Greek phrase, is dia pneumatos, which comes from the word pneuma, which means spirit. He's, he's referring to a spiritual experience or spiritual utterance that is out of sync with the revealed word of God. He's talking about, some, some scholars translate that as ecstatic utterances, strange utterances, weird revelations, euphoric proclamations that have no root in sound doctrine and eventually produce a negative equation negative effect on us. He's talking about don't be moved by weird prophecies. Don't be moved by somebody who comes out tonight and says, thus saith the Lord, the world will end tomorrow. Because we know that's not true. It doesn't line up with the scripture. Don't be shaken by these things. If you're listening to a prophecy and it makes you afraid, something wrong there. Because God isn't going to give you a spirit of fear. There may be a warning, but in that warning, there's an answer also. It doesn't need to make you afraid. It needs to make you stand up, listen to what God says, and obey what he says. I mean, it's, it's, talking, about, it's talking about weird utterances, strange prophecies. He says, don't become perpetually anxious and worried by something that appears to be prophecy, but it really isn't. I remember learning a long time ago, you can't believe every prophecy you hear. Yeah. You know, I remember one time we were just, Tammy and I weren't even married yet. This lady in our church stood up. She prophesied almost every week. I don't know why. Probably because nobody else would. And one time she stood up and she says, My little children, why are you so stupid? <laughs> if you don't straighten up, I'm going to rain down hell, fire, and brimstone on your head. Well, that didn't agree with the Word of God. I mean, we may have been being stupid, but, you know, God ain't going to rain down fire and brimstone on our heads. 
We need to listen to what prophecies say and don't have to believe all of them. He said, don't be troubled by word. The word here is dialogau, and it means by word, by rumor, by verbal claim. Rumor is what he's talking about. Don't be moved by the latest rumor. Do you remember right before, uh, I think January the 6th, all the rumors were, oh man, President Trump has control of the army. He's going to send them out. He's going to take take Pelosi and put her in prison. And, and the Democrats are going to be doomed and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, rumor. How about this one? Oh, they're going to run out of toilet paper. <laughs> rumor. And they did run out. It wasn't just a rumor. It happened because of the rumor. But, but he said, he said, he said don't, don't believe every conspiracy theory, every rumor that comes your way. I mean, if you believe everything you hear and read on the Internet, you're in trouble. I mean, it's out there. There's all kinds of things. You'll be upset from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. If you hear, if you hear just the rumors, even on the nightly news, I mean, they're just rumors. The Holy Spirit is saying, shut your ears to nonsense. Don't listen to it. Listen to God's word. Listen to what he's saying. He told not to be shaken in mind or troubled by a letter from us. Now this is saying, the word here is epistole, and it's talking about a letter or an epistle. So apparently people wrote a letter to the Thessalonians claiming they were Paul. And in that letter they said, you missed it. I'm sorry, but you've missed the rapture. I guess that meant Paul missed it too. I'm not sure. But they, be, they were young believers and they believed that the rapture had taken place. And, and even the people who were probably teaching, they might have been sincere in what they were teaching, but they were missing it. They missed it. So, so we understand we've got to make sure we're not moved in our emotions, in our soul, not moved by, by what sounds spiritual. Understand, what sounds spiritual is often not spiritual at all if it moves your soul to a place of fear or moves your soul to a place of doubt. It's not spiritual at all. Or if it moves your soul to a place of lazy complacency and you're not, no longer willing to fight for the kingdom. We've got to stand and we've got to fight. I like this next verse. It says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and then that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He gives us some information regarding the timing of the rapture. All right? And it has lots of stuff in it. So let's look at this for a second. He said, first of all, he says, the phrase, he said, let no man, let no man deceive you by any means. The phrase no man in, 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 the, in the Greek is, is metis, two words. And it, it means a strong prohibition. It's a stern, strong ordering the reader to reject some type of activity. He's saying, let no man absolutely no one whatsoever deceive you by any means. That's a pretty strong statement. Don't be deceived. I mean, he's telling them up front, don't let it happen. Don't let anybody deceive you. The word for deceive is, is, the, is the Greek word planao, and it, 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 it's, in, it's, it, it's, 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 not that, it's not that word. The, the, the word here is expatao, and it means to cheat, to seduce, to take advantage of by trickery. It means to deceive by giving distorted impressions, to lure one into deception, using any means to promote delusional thinking and believing. Here he's saying, don't let anybody give you these delusional thoughts 
Don't let anybody deceive you. He said, don't let anybody lead you astray. And then he said, by any means. That means in no fashion whatsoever. Don't give them an inch. In other words, if people are coming and they are trying to deceive you, do not allow them. Don't allow anyone to give you doctrine that disagrees with the Scripture. But you've got to know what it says. You've got to take time in the Word, spending time with God. And I like what it says. He says, for that day, that day shall not come. What day is he talking about? Well, he's talking about what he talked about at the beginning. He's talking about the, the day that Jesus gathers the believers to himself. He's talking about the rapture. He says, that day will not come. The day of the rapture, the rapture of the church. The word we said, this has to come first, which is proton, which means first in order. He says, but first there has to come a falling away. A falling away. In the Greek word, the word is apostasia. It describes a falling away, a revolt, a political revolt, or a mutiny. That's what the word literally means. It can be translated a mutinous attitude of rebellion or a general turning away from God. Now that's pretty interesting. He's talking about, he's talking about what's going to happen right before Jesus comes to get his church. Now, I used to teach it this way, this, this word apostasia, because I really wanted it to mean something different than it does. I, want, I wanted it to mean a taking away, but I can't really validate that. I used to teach it that way. The word means a falling away. It doesn't mean taking. It means falling, a falling away. We saw that when we looked at some other definitions of some other words, because Jesus comes for a remnant. There's a falling away. All right? The apostasy is going to take place in two places, in the church and in the world. It's going to take place in both of those places. There will be not, not so much in the church a, a, an outright mutiny against God, but in the sense of people ignorant of God, people un, un, unknowingly refusing to follow God, people falling away from Him, and that it becomes all about me, which is what I've been talking about. And it's, not, it's no longer about God. It's about me. It's about am I getting my stuff? Am I getting what I want? But this, this thing, this mutiny is going to take place right before the rapture of the church. But it's not going to take place until there is a rebellion in the church and in the world against God. If we look in society, you can see it's becoming more and more godless. I mean, if we were to go back 50 years ago, it was a whole different world, wasn't it? It was a very different world. I mean... If the Antichrist had tried to come to be introduced, to be revealed at that time, it wouldn't have worked because we would have recognized him. We don't know exactly who he is. Back then, society was more biblical. Not just the church. Society was more biblically based. People's knowledge of Scripture would have exposed him 50 years ago. We would have known right away. I mean, we would have kicked him out right away. But as time has passed... People have become ignorant of the word. Not everybody, not everybody, but a large number of them. And the secret plan of the Antichrist has been in operation for decades, waiting for him to be able to be revealed. I mean, you can see how easily it can take place today. I mean, we'll talk about him in just a minute. But it can, because people want to be entertained in church, they're not being taught the word of God in church. We might not wait. I mean, when he comes, people have already fallen away. They don't want, they don't want that old-timey stuff. They don't want that. 
I mean, there is already a mutinous attitude, a rebellious attitude toward God in the world. And it's growing and growing every day. Paul, we're eyewitnesses of this apostasia. In our government, our government, we, we see it happening. He prophesied it would take place the last of the last days. Here's what it says. It's saying, we're not going to live with the old, outdated morals anymore. I mean, we're not going to live like old fuddy-duddies of the past. We're going to frame a new world order with new morals and progressive standards. It's time we embrace a new way of thinking. In fact, I remember a U.S. president by the name of Obama who pointed to the outdated morals of Christianity when he was talking about our opposition to gay marriage in America. It's there. It's everywhere. That's why we have to fight. That's why we have to get in the place of the Spirit and hear the voice of God. I mean, the conditions are prime for the Antichrist to come. In a lawless world, we'll willingly embrace him when he's revealed. Let me read this. He says, that Then that man of sin will be revealed the son of perdition. We just talked about mutiny. I want to talk about lawlessness for just a moment. The word sin here, normally the, the Hebrew, the Greek word is, is harmatia. That's what it normally is here. But here the word sin is anomia. So it's a different Greek word here. It's taken from the word nomos, which means law. And the, the prefix is a, which means none or no. Or it means, it means to, to take away. So the word anomia means to shuck off laws or standards, to throw off old trends, old traditions, old ways, or old models. He's the man of anomia. It describes lawlessness. No law. Without law. A lawless attitude. You're going to find that tonight in Minnesota. You're going to find it tonight in Portland. You're going to find anarchy in our, in our nation running rampant in our streets. I mean, it's lawless. So the man of sin is actually the man of lawlessness. And he'll be revealed probably sooner than we think. It says he'll be revealed. The word revealed is, is, is apocalypsis, which means to uncover, to reveal, or unveil. It speaks of something that's been veiled or hidden, but suddenly comes clear and visible to see. It can be translated a sudden revealing. When the veil is removed, what is hidden comes into plain view. What is behind the veil is no longer concealed or hidden from, from the private or, or public view. Right now, this man of sin or this man of lawlessness is hidden. His identity, his whereabouts are concealed. But the day is coming, he'll be revealed for all to see. He's the son of perdition. That's interesting. The word perdition, the Greek word is Apolia. It describes something that is doomed, rotten, ruinous, or decaying. He's the man of rottenness, the son of rottenness. The Greek word it was used to describe rotten meat that was filled with maggots. He's the son of stench, so horrible. The Bible depicts the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, who will, who will betray himself as the leader of the new world order. He will come and, and the whole world will want, want him. But yet everything he touches is ultimately doomed to decay. 
Spiritually speaking, everything he is is filled with rottenness like maggot-infected meat. But the world is setting itself up so this man of lawlessness can come and be revealed. So what's going to happen once he's revealed to the public? And what's stopping him from coming right now, from being revealed now? Well, that's what we'll talk about next time. So let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that there is a a catching away. I thank you, Lord, there is a time for the remnant to be taken with you. I thank you, God, that Jesus will come for his church. I thank you, Lord, that there will be, first of all, the dead in Christ will rise, then we which alive and remain will meet them in the air. God, we thank you. We honor you tonight for your precious word. We thank you, God, that you provided us a way to escape this son of perdition, this man of lawlessness. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.